Sometimes the Bible is funny. Um, we don't always catch it. Some of, some of the humor flies over our heads, but it's, it's there once you know uh, where to look. Uh, for instance, in John chapter 4, our passage for today, there's a little humor uh, by Jesus. There's a line that, uh, that jumps off the page once you know about it. Uh, and it. And it follows a conversation about sheep and the fact that sheep recognize the voice of their master. Uh, now, in order to sort of set this up, let me just say, sheep absolutely recognize the voice of their master. When I was in Israel the very first time, uh, I was staying with uh, Johanna and Dina Catanacho, who used to be uh, uh, involved here at Christ Church. Uh, while Dina was, or excuse me, while Johanna was doing his PhD in Old Testament, they attended for five years and uh, then moved back. Um, he's now the uh, academic dean of a, of a Bible college in Nazareth, and she is the uh, director, executive director of the Arab-Israeli Bible Society. Um, so I went over and I was staying with them. And it was the first time I'd been there, and they were going to show me around. And, and Johanna said, tomorrow I'm going to take you to Nazareth Village. He says it's a special park that we have set up that recreates life 2,000 years ago. And I was initially uh, not very excited about this. I, I had visions of what we would do with some sort of Bible theme park in the U.S., I, I, I saw souvenir stands. I saw, you know, water slides. I saw just all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh no, what have I got myself into? But it was nothing like that. It was incredible. So Nazareth Village, which is in Nazareth. So, you, you know, you're right there where Jesus was walking around. It wasn't a big town at the time. And they had excavated where they thought the old village uh, had been. And you had people that were living there as if it was 2,000 years ago. And uh, so you got to sort of look on the village and you got to talk to people. I mean, there was, they had a, uh, they have olive uh, groves and they were making uh, olive oil. They had vineyards and they were making wine and they would make their own bread and they had all, and they had shepherds. Uh, they had all this stuff going on and you could talk with the people and sort of learn. And in so many different ways, biblical stories and illusions would sort of pop. Well, so the shepherd uh, we saw a shepherd. He's got 25 sheep and goats together. That sort of ties in with a different parable. But um, he, he comes over, or we walked over to him, and we're talking to him and asking him about being the shepherd. And he's explaining it, but he says, you know, I'm not actually the real shepherd. The real shepherd has gone to the dentist. So these people would get a clock out at some point and go attend to modern life. But all of a sudden, the real shepherd came back. And he's across the field, and he calls out to his friend, the substitute shepherd. And there's, you know, 25, 30 sheep and goats right there. As soon as this guy called the name of his friends, instantly they all took off running towards the shepherd. It was, it was fascinating. It was amazing. That's how dialed in they were. They knew his voice. And all of this relates Again, to this passage in John 10. So John 9, so immediately preceding the verse we're going to look at. John 9, Jesus has had a little uh, interaction with uh, Pharisees. They're mad at him. He's healed a man who'd been born blind, uh, but he's done it on the Sabbath. And they're very exercised about the fact that he's violated the Sabbath. And, and so Jesus is having conversations about spiritual blindness. Like, good grief, can you miss? <laughs> can you not celebrate the fact that this, this guy was born blind and now he can see? 
So as soon as that finishes up, we pick up with this passage here. John 10, verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees. So he's directing his comments at the Pharisees. Uh, he tends to have harsh things to say to the powerful and proud. Uh, very kind things to say to, the, to those that are struggling. But very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then here's the laugh line. <laughs> Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Okay, so this is funny. So he's just talked about the fact that, that those that are spiritually attuned recognize the voice of the master. And then he talks about the Pharisees and he says, but they did not understand what Jesus was saying. So yes, I mean, okay, maybe not laugh out loud funny for you, but uh, you can almost hear the little drum uh, bada bing and Jesus saying, I'll, I'll be here all week, right? I mean, so this, this was a little bit uh, of a dig at the religious leaders. Um, now, we could uh, just sort of pause here for a little bit because there's, there's this idea that, uh, that we're looking at the sheep and the sheep do recognize the voice uh, of the master and they, uh, they, they trust, even though they don't always understand. And this would, would likely tie in more with the disciples as opposed to the Pharisees. So the disciples don't always understand what Jesus is doing. As a matter of fact, they get lots of things wrong and uh, they don't seem to get the, they just don't get who he is. They don't get the bigger picture. They don't get the whole, uh, how to engage the world. They, they couldn't pass a Bible comp comprehensive exam by any means. But as opposed to the Pharisees, right, who, who supposedly had this greater understanding, the disciples recognized the voice that they could trust and they trusted. And uh, that's arguably the more complicated challenge that we face. Now, there is the other challenge. There are some who understand what is being said, but choose not to follow. I mean, that's the, the Mark Twain line, right? It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, right? In other words, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand, Twain is saying. It's the parts that I do understand that, uh, that, that have got me a little bit unsettled. But um, comprehension is good, but obedience is better. There's, there's, there are times when, like sheep, we simply need to recognize and trust the voice of our master and move forward. There's a lot here. We're actually coming at this whole passage from a little bit different vantage point. So this is part of this I Am series. In the Gospel of John, there are seven uh, I am statements that Jesus makes. These are sort of radical claims in which he's revealing his identity. I am the bread of life, light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. You know, last week on Easter, I'm the resurrection and the life. Today, we're looking at a passage in which he claims to be the gate. <laughs> now, let me just back up for a second and um, say that, that uh, as we've been looking at these I am statements, 
uh, in, in John. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a series of them and they, they convey content, but they also convey content in a, in a unique way. So when we look at Jesus' teaching, there's really two different ways that we could pull it apart. We've got the content of what he's saying, the actual essence of what he's saying. And so when you look at all of Jesus' teaching, when you look at the red letters in the Bible, and I'm, I'm talking about his didactic teaching, I'm not including necessarily all the things that he teaches by his example. But when you look at, at the kinds of stuff that he says, you, you pick up that God is first and others need to be second and that uh, the way up is down, right? To be, ser to be served is not as good as to serve. You, you hear that we're going to live forever. We need to live in light of the kingdom of God. Uh, we hear those to whom much has been given, much is expected. We're accountable stewards of our life. But, but the big takeaway, if you actually just mapped out everything that Jesus teaches, the big surprise in the content is most of the time he's talking about himself. He is, he is explaining who he is. Now, the other part of this is how he does this. And so we've got, uh, we've got uh, things to look at in terms of how he actually delivers the content of what he is going to say. So since the Enlightenment, uh, so the, the 16th, 17th century European you know, revolution that leads to the scientific revolution, it, it's sort of a different way of thinking. Since the Enlightenment, we have been very um, sort of linear. We want, it, we want arguments that are based on logic and data and studies and it's all sort of dispassionate and it's efficient and that's, that's the way teaching tends to happen. Um, this is very different than 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago there wasn't this, this quest for speed and efficiency. And so there's a lot more teaching that comes in the context of relationships, a lot more teaching that comes in the context of stories, uh, a, lot, a lot more dialogue. So what we see with Jesus in terms of his style of teaching is that he asks lots of questions and also that he tells lots of stories. And some of these stories are parables. And the stories and the parables that he tells are all sort of couched in language and, and, and illustrations that make great sense 2,000 years ago. So we get lots of stories about sheep. We get lots of agrarian stories. We get stories about fishing. We get stories about extended families. Uh, you, you, get, you get those kinds of, it's all first century stuff. If Jesus were alive teaching today, he's alive today. If Jesus were teaching right now, we wouldn't be getting uh, agrarian uh, illustrations, you know, we wouldn't be hearing about sheep. We'd be, it'd be business transactions and it'd be, you know, the exhaustion of uh, shuttling your kids everywhere and it would be Zoom meetings. I, I, I don't know. But um, in, in this, he is, uh, he is communicating some significant truths in a context. And so we have to understand the context. So back um, to our to our passage. Very truly I tell you Pharisees, again the religious leaders, he's speaking to them. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen 
Okay, so the word here for pen, same word that gives us penitentiary. A pen is a corral, you know, some sort of fenced-in area. By the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Um, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone, okay, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own uh, sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, part of what you have to understand here is that there were, um, there were two kinds of pens that sheep would uh, be kept in. There's, there's one that was kept in the center sort of of the village. So if I'm a shepherd uh, and I'm, I am going to be grazing my sheep close by uh, this, this week, you know, I get up in the morning, I would go to this pen, I get my sheep, I, I take them out uh, outside the village, take them out to where there was uh, pasture land for them to graze on, and then I would bring them back in at night and I would, I would sort of check them in at, with this master corral, with the watchmen. And other shepherds would also put their sheep into the same pen. And uh, it, so you could have five or six different shepherds with, with all of their various flocks all going into the same pen. And then they could go home. They didn't have to worry about the sheep that night. Uh, someone else, this, this watchman, is going to take care of them. And then the next morning, they would go to the gate. That's what's being talked about. Uh, and the gatekeeper, the watchman, would open the gate for him, and the sheep listened to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Um, so the sheep, here's, here's the deal. Again, the sheep know the, the voice of their master. And so when he goes to this big pen, um, he's going to be able to get them. Now, um, shortly after I arrived here 20 years ago, uh, I uh, had a meeting coming up, theological consultation coming up in Africa. And I was going uh, over there with another person from the church who was also attending this consultation. And we opened it up to others in the church and a few other people went. And one of the, one of the people that went well, had been a student in Africa doing a semester and uh, had made friends. And so she arranged for us to be able to uh, meet up with her friend who was... I don't know, he's in his 40s or 50s at the time. He was a Maasai warrior. And, and 35, 40 years ago, the government of Kenya, to keep the Maasai from being um, sort of nomadic and wandering around stealing cows from each other and from everybody else, they brought one young uh, boy from each village in and raised them in the city. And then they became this liaison that would go back and forth between the city and their home village. These villages are pretty small. But she said he could take us out to his home village. So we went out, this is, you know, four hours by Jeep out into the middle of the bush to this Maasai village. And I, I uh, 
I got sideways. I offended our, our wonderful guide twice. The first, and the reason I'm holding this is because as soon as we got there, he said, now, Mike, um, you may never be barehanded. You are the age of a warrior. You must carry. Uh, this, is a, this is called a rungu. This is what you would use to, to defend, get this, to defend the cows. The Maasai's life is all about the cows. Uh, so you would use this, this club to beat off any lions that might be attacking the cows. Or you would have a stick. I didn't get a rungu. I got a stick. And so I had this stick, and I kept setting the stick down. I mean, it was just a stick. And over the course of the next, you know, eight hours that we're walking around, I would lose my stick. And he would always be so horrified. Where is your stick? You, 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 what happens if a lion comes? And I'm like, well, I got news for you. <laughs> if a lion comes, I am not going to use that stick to defend any cows. Okay, this was the first time we got sideways because he said, well, you, you must. And I said, uh, no, actually... <laughs> I'm quite confident that I will not. And he says, but you must. And I said, no, no. I mean, to take this stick to go defend a cow from a lion? Like I am, <laughs> I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, I'm thrilled that the lion is going after the cow. Like what if the lion came after me? And he said, uh, you, you must defend the cow. And I said, so, I mean, this is a little tense. I said, look, here's the deal. If, if any lions come while I'm here and it's on my watch that one of these cows gets killed, I will pay for the cow. <laughs> I'm speaking like an American. Okay, I will throw money at this problem. And he says, no, 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 no. It's a matter of honor. You have to go out and defend the cows. And I said, well, wow, I'm really challenged by that because I don't want to be dishonorable, but I'm just trying to be honest. I'm not going to go out with a stick to defend a cow. That was strike one. The second strike, next morning, we go out, we're hanging out with the cows. And there's a bunch of cows, you know, in this big pen. And I say to him, 50, 75 cows, I say to him, I go, how do, how do you know whose cows are whose? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, how do, you, how do you know whose cows are yours? They're in this big pen all together. How do you know whose cows are whose? He said, well, you know, you know everything about the cow. You know who the cow's mother is. You know who the cow's brothers and sisters are. You know who the cow's cousins are. You know when the cow was born. You know the cow's personality. You know everything about the cow. So, so the shepherds know everything about their sheep. They recognize their sheep. They all look the same to me, but they recognize the sheep. And the sheep recognize the voice of the, uh, of the shepherd. And so, the first thing that's happening here, the first part of this passage is referencing sheep that are in the communal pen. However, it goes on. Uh, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. Then Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying. We've looked at that. Therefore, Jesus said, very truly I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. Okay, now this is pivoting. So I want to play a 60-second video that uh, sort of shows you the second kind of pen. This is the kind of pen that was out uh, a ways away. So maybe I'm a shepherd. I wake up in the morning. I get the sheep. 
They recognize my voice. I lead them. We go six hours out to fresh pasture. So they graze the rest of the day. I'm not going to make it back in by the end of the day. So I'm going to spend the night out in the field. In that case, I have to build an enclosure using rocks or using brush or something. And there's just going to be a little narrow opening. And this gate, this, these, this pen that I'm building has got to be big enough to keep the wolves out. And it's got to be big enough so the sheep aren't going to get away. And then I am, this is what Jesus is saying here, I'm going to lay in the gate. So let's watch this video and it makes this clear. So how do people go to heaven? Well, in answering this very important question, Jesus spoke figuratively about one of these, a sheep pen. So a sheep pen is made up of these stone walls that come together and form a narrow opening. So before evening sets in, the shepherd gets his flock into the protection of a sheep pen, and then he himself serves as the gate to a sheep by sitting or laying in this narrow opening so that nothing can get in and nothing can get out without going through the shepherd. So this is a different kind of pen, and what Jesus is saying here is that he is the gate. Literally, he's setting himself in the doorway, and no one can get to the sheep unless they go through him. So back to our passage. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So here's the deal. If, again, the context of all this teaching is one that we're not immediately familiar with. Again, if, it was, if, if this was being contextualized for us, it would be I don't know, airplane travel or, uh, again, business transactions or uh, whatever it might be, uh, the kinds of things that we're dealing with, celebrity culture, social media, whatever. Uh, now, we do understand gates. Um, I mean, first of all, if we're traveling, <laughs> we go out through a gate and you got to enter, got to go through a security clearance gate. And maybe if you're on a train, there's an electronic ticket gate. And if you've uh, fenced in the yard, uh, around your house or, or a condo, whatever, apartment, then, uh, then you know that there's a gate there. And of course, a gate, in, we, could, we could make this a whole lot simpler and just not talk about gates, talk about doors. So here's the deal. When it comes to Bible study, the, the challenge, the big challenge is always application. And, uh, and w when we step back from this passage, we see there's a whole bunch of, of points that are getting made that we might think about. For instance, there's, uh, there's this whole idea that we're sheep. 
And uh, we've talked about this already in the, the, the earlier sermon in this series talking about being a good shepherd. You know, sheep are not, you know, they're not great white sharks. They're not uh, cougars or falcons. They're not cool. Uh, sheep are, there's a little bit of a knock. There's, a, there's been an undercurrent in recent years of people who love sheep suggesting that pastors are overstating just how dim-witted sheep are. I have never known a pastor to exaggerate a point uh, ever. <laughs> okay, so maybe we've exaggerated that point. I don't know. I hear that sheep are pretty dim-witted. Maybe they're not as dim-witted as I've been told. But they are notable for being defenseless. Right? Most animals have got something going for them. They can fly away. They're fast. They've got uh, sharp claws. They've got a hard shell. They're poisonous. They don't taste very good. Something that keeps the predators from picking them off. Uh, famously, sheep are not. Jesus doesn't say, you know, you are, um, you are the, the great white uh, sharks. Uh, you are fast and, and cool. You're mountain lions. You're, you know, you're an eagle. No, he says, you're, you are sheep. And when, um, when your enemy comes, um, you know, they, they see you, you're slow and defenseless, and um, they get out the mint jelly, right? I mean, it's, it's mealtime. So there's something there that we always have to just go back and reflect on. Uh, when God identifies us, it's, it's arguably the most defenseless uh, of all, the most dependent of all animals. Secondly, there's this, this undercurrent that just goes throughout the New Testament and it shows up here again. Jesus goes after the, the proud, the self-righteous, uh, the arrogant. So the religious leaders uh, are the ones that he's going after. This, this is a little convicting. It's a little frightening. The, the, the Pharisees were the religious right. They were trying hard. They were being zealous. They were doubling down on trying to be as good a people as they could be. And so um, it's, it's just a little bit unnerving. The, the Pharisees thought they were right. They were fundamentally wrong. And we just need to recognize again and, and acknowledge the fact that uh, the proud and the powerful Jesus tends to have very hard things uh, to say to. The third thing that we might notice is, um, is, is what Jesus is claiming uh, about himself as a shepherd. He's a good shepherd, and here he's the gate. He is the one uh, through whom we enter. And he's saying he's the only way that, uh, that we are safe. Now, this is not just here, by the way. This idea, the exclusive claims of Jesus in, is going to come up much more next week. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. The, the, the exclusive claims of Jesus are very troubling and problematic and, and people don't like them, and I certainly get that. It's not new to this, um, you know, the passage next week. This, Jesus doesn't say, I am a gate. He says, I'm the gate. And throughout the Bible, we see these kind of exclusive claims. So, um, so we recognize Jesus is saying I, that he is the shepherd that is laying his life down. Literally, I'm going to lay in the doorway. No wolf can get in except through me. And I'm not going to let you get hurt. I'm not going to let you get out. There's, he is putting his life on the line. And additionally, it's, it's not simply 
the, the John 10, 10 passage suggests it's not simply that we survive, but indeed that we thrive. This passage says, you know, he wants us to have life and uh, to have it abundantly. So there's a lot of different ways that we could go with this whole passage. Again, when it comes to Bible study, uh, the, the first rule is to try and figure out what the original listeners would have understood the original reader to be conveying. And so that's, we've got to put ourselves in the context. We've got to understand cheap pens. We've got to understand all that. Uh, then the second responsibility in Bible study is to figure out what does this actually mean to me? Like how do I take this principle and apply it to my life right now? Does it apply directly? Do I have to update it? You know, what does it look like in 21st century life? So there's that second step. But the big step, the hard step, right? I mean, that, that part of the, the, I mean, you can learn that. The hard stuff is then to obey. And this is, uh, this is a challenge. And this is the challenge that we face. This is the challenge that you and I face. Are we going to be the kind of people who trust God? Going to be the kind of people who stay close enough so that we, we automatically recognize the voice of our master. <clears throat> Dallas Willard um, wrote about this. He framed the question, do you know the voice of God? I'm going to read this, what he, what he wrote. You and I learn voices by experience. We're, we are at least as smart as sheep. They learn to identify the voices of their master by experience. Scripture uses this image over and over to emphasize learning God's voice. In time, you learn the difference in the spirit, the tone, and the content of the thoughts that come to your mind that are from God. You can get pretty good at recognizing whether a thought has come from him. For one thing, God never nags you or whines at you. By contrast, I have found that there is always a quality of nervousness, of tinniness, about one's own thoughts. If you wish to know the voice of God as it comes to you individually, simply allow yourself to trust God to lead you into that. Ask God to speak to you, then wait attentively. He will probably speak to you clearly, but you have to understand and believe that this is even possible. Otherwise, your faith will not rise to it and you will not have the opportunity to learn. The reason I emphasize this is because when a friend asks you about your relationship with God and the reason for your hope, you don't want to be in the position to say, well, God never speaks to me, but he speaks to a lot of other people. So as a, as a pastor, I would answer this question ever so slightly uh, differently. Uh, I appreciate um, Dallas Willard who passed away a few years ago. He's a professor uh, USC, philosopher, and author, and other things. Um, when people are saying to me, how do I hear the voice of God? Like, how do I know what God is saying to me? How do I know the will of God? How do I, how do I know what it is that I'm supposed to do? I say, well, first of all, number one, you, you, you read the book. You saturate yourself with the word of God. Because nothing God is ever going to say to you is going to be different than what he says in the Bible. Secondly, 
you pray, and not just, a lot of prayer is just um, sort of verbalized anxiety. That's a little harsh, but uh, a lot of prayer is just a, an ongoing list of needs. And I would, I would encourage you, and we're going to head into a prayer series coming uh, up in just a little bit, I encourage you to recognize that, that uh, prayer is also just listening. It's just being quiet, being still, and learning uh, to let God speak to you. And it, it, is, it involves trust. And in, in my, uh, I, I do say to folks, look, um, I, I trust for you that if you truly want to hear from God's voice, if you truly want God's direction, so much of this battle is already over. Now, you've got to be willing to respond to it. And we have to be willing to face the sin in our own life and, and deal with that. Uh, my voice, uh, Willard said that uh, he, he thought his voice was tinny. Yeah, I think my voice is tinny. Nervous. My voice isn't nervous. It's a little bit uh, uh, frenetic would be sort of, if I'm listening to my own voice, my own voice is a little bit uh, more, you know, go, 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 and it's got to happen now. And I, I've, I've had to learn that, that God seldom is, God, has, God isn't suffering from a lack of planning like I might be. And so there's, a, there's an ongoing refrain, and, and I, I want to encourage you to hear the voice of God, to, know, to be as adept as a sheep, <laughs> to recognize immediately the voice of God. You want to cultivate this through Bible reading, through prayer, uh, through reflection, and as we come uh, at the end of this service, just to being in his presence in things such as participating in the sacraments. And so we are going to turn now to um, the sacrament of communion. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself as I pray for everyone here um, present and listening at all the campuses at home, whatever. Father, may you graciously soften our hearts that we can hear uh, your voice. May you guide and direct us, illuminate uh, our, uh, our spirit that we would understand the things we need to turn from and the directions we need to turn to in order to be uh, drawing ever closer to you, learning to trust and to rest in you. Bless now this time as we come to this communion table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.